All right, we are here with another episode of All of the Avengers. This is episode 002, I believe, and I am joined for this episode by my first guest, Rob Clo. Rob, welcome aboard All the Avengers. How are you doing, sir? I am good, Van. How are you? Very good, very good. I'm excited to have you on here. I'm excited to have a guest. I plan on doing this uh, quite often. In fact, I've already booked up several more guests, um, all the way more or less up through issue 17, I believe, to some degree. So, uh that's, Let's see. That's the original to significant run. Significant. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so uh, you have been uh, one of the Jarvis heads for quite a while. Tell the folks who you are and, and what you do. Sure. Uh, yeah, I've been a Jarvis head for 23 years, uh, which is crazy to think about. Uh, I am a uh, full-time freelance writer. Uh, I'm a critic and also write about uh, pop culture. Um, my current credits include Looper.com is my main one. Uh, but I also write uh, comics criticism for uh, the Comics Journal, for uh, my own collective site, soulrad.co, um, my own blog, Hilo, and many other places. And this year I've also become um, a teacher a publisher and an editor. Um, wow. Yeah, I've taught uh, two online classes this year, including one for the uh, comic school called the Sequential Artist Workshop. Uh, I've published uh, uh, Field Mouse Press, which is what runs Solrad. Uh, we pub we're our first book we're publishing by a cartoonist uh, called Clutter by Ariel Bordeaux. Uh, is about to come out any day now. And then uh, I have my own editing and uh, uh, editing advice, career advice, et cetera, et cetera, service for cartoonists called Rent-A-Critic. And I've been doing that for a bunch of months now. So I'm all over the place. And it's, uh, uh, it's cool to be immersed in, you know, as a full-time writer, and the, and the things I love. Um, but my first love is still the Avengers from very, very young. And as I've told Van and others many times, uh, though we love the Avengers in terms of like popularity and sales, it was always kind of like the fourth place thing for Marvel. Mm -hmm. um, so it is bizarre to me to see the Avengers become the most popular and influential intellectual property in the history of the world. <laughs> That's amazing, isn't it? Yeah. Good heavens. Good heavens. Well, here we are. This is the world we live in. Hey, as you know, as a huge and Iron Man fan, as, as I am, there he is back there. And the other one's on my desk. I have two Iron Man statues. Um, to think that he's, he became like the flagship character for Marvel still kind of blows my mind. I, you know, I was struggling to find any toys at all when I was a kid with Iron Man. You could get Captain America and Hulk and Spider-Man, but you know, I had to take my Captain Kirk Mego and make armor for him to be Iron Man. That's how bad it was in the seventies. So it's still a, it is a different world. Um, yeah. And, and one other thing about Rob that he hasn't told you because he's so modest is that he is a absolutely dominant Marvel and Avengers trivia scene. He has defeated the best at Marvel trivia. Is that not true? Uh, 
It is. And actually, one of my favorite things I did last year was I was in a trivia thing and uh, Avenger, longtime Avengers editor Tom Brevoort and uh, Avengers trivia fiend and writer for like Marvel trivia related stuff and information, Sean McQuaid, I beat both of them somehow in a trivia contest. I believe that um, was my trivia contest, sir, but uh, yes. <laughs> Was that? I believe it was. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, and then I did a bunch of Marvel Jeopardies and and mm-hmm. with uh, an Avengers Jeopardy with Van. I remember the first one at Dragon Con. It was it was Avengers Jeopardy, mm-hmm. and it really was like this kind of dream scenario of like <laughs> all of these categories look really good to me. Um. So yeah. Uh. I still retain a lot of it, although I've, I've forgotten some of it. Oop. There you go. We had a little dropout. We can fix it in editing. No problem. Okay. And we're back. All right. So, well, re- well, I'm going to say the one thing I haven't done yet is introduce myself because I just kind of started talking in the last episode. So I'll just quickly say, um, I'm the creator originally back in 1995 of Avengers Assemble, where this uh, one of the places you can find this show as well as on YouTube and uh, the Avengers mailing list in 1996. Bobby Polite and I started and uh, I've been uh, in addition to 26, how many ever 27 now years of that. Um, uh, I also write the Sentinels novels uh, and uh, the new Pulsar comic book, which just came out through Kickstarter. We had a big, big, uh, successful Kickstarter for it. And I'm on my way as soon as we're done today to go meet our artist, uh, Jennifer Stolzer, and we're going to autograph all the issues so we can mail them out to the, uh, to, the pe- to the people. So it's very exciting. Good time. It's a good time to be alive. That is exciting. Yeah. And it's been very cool over the years seeing your success as a writer. Ah, well, I just plug away, but uh, you've been very successful too. I mean, my goodness. I think in fact, it's a, that's one thing that all the Jarvis heads seem to have in common from the very beginning is we've all been really passionate about stuff and we've all kind of pursued it and been successful at it. And that's really cool to see. Writers right. Yeah. Everyone I can think of that's been on there since the late nineties, you know, mid mid to late nineties has is, is being creative and, and cranking stuff out and doing stuff. It's really amazing. I love it. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, uh, we're going to talk about three issues today. Uh, the next up was three and four Avengers three and four, but I figured while we're talking about three, we got to talk about that. What if that, mm-hmm. that Jim shooter did and Gil Kane that plays off of it. So enough of looking at us. Let me go ahead and move things around here for just a second so that the folks can look at the comics. And I'm going to bring up first, uh, Avengers number three. Here we go. go ahead and make it the full size of the screen. I see PDF. There we go. All right, here we come. I'm going to have to share the screen and bring it over. Boom. There we go. Avengers number three. That's as big as I can make it because this one screen is bigger than the other. So, all right. All right. Um, so, Avengers number three. And um, this is what I like to call uh, volume three of the Hulk trilogy in the sense that um, I lost my notes in the sense that, that 
you know, the, the, the first issue was really about the, the team coming together, but really to me, the most interesting aspect of the first two issues and then going into this one is how they get along with the Hulk, the right. villains aside, villains aside, team coming together for the first time eh, aside to me, the interesting dynamic about this opening kind of storyline is we try to bring the Hulk into the team partially because not bad having Hulk on your team, but also because having him on your team means he's not out maybe wreaking havoc. Right. And, and how that dynamic plays out to me was the most interesting thing about the first several issues. Do you, what do you think about that? It is interesting in retrospect to think about it uh, because it was completely different later. Um, and they eventually sort of abandoned this idea. Uh, and it plays off sort of the early weirdness of Marvel and how prior to this with uh, Atlas, uh, it was a monster comic company. Mm-hmm. And the Hulk is much more firmly in that world than really as a superhero. He was a horror character, really, as, you know, uh, uh, he was uh, clearly like, you know, a Frankenstein's monster figure. Oh, yeah. Uh, And Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, too. They're kind of both. Exactly. Um, This this kind of tragic character, um, you know, unleashed on the world, and then putting those guys squarely up against um, these different kind of heroic worlds of Thor's, you know, heroic fantasy. Iron Man is um, heroic science fiction, really. And I'd put um, Hank Pym in that, in that arm as well. Um, Although he also has roots um, in the monster world uh, as his first appearance. So you have this kind of odd genre blending um and uh it's today i don't almost call it like you know comics event it's like let's have all these characters together in this this thing and that's and it's kind of what it was it's like let's see what happens when you put them all in the same room um and the the first issue you know the only person who could make all these guys work together is obviously loki uh when they figure out this guy is really terrible, even the Hulk's like, yeah, we did pretty well together. And the second one's like, you know, uh, the Hulk rightly says, none of you trust me and you all think I'm a monster. I'm out of here. I'm out of here. Right. You you gave me, you, you showed how you really feel about me. And I, even I, even, even I picked up on that is what he's saying, which is really, it left a big impression on me at the end of number two. Yeah. And, you know, coming in the third issue, um, he's more or less just kind of hanging out. You know, he occasionally is wreck- wrecking havoc, but he's just, you know, kind of just wants to, like, not be bothered um, until the Avengers are like, you know, we, we got to track him down. And then, um, and then things really escalate in, the, in this issue and the next issue. And one of the things I like about the What If issue um, you know, what if always showed like 
you know, officer the worst case scenario. Um, yeah. <laughs> but in this case, the worst case scenario is pretty realistic in terms of like what could have happened. Oh, yeah. Oh, if just a slight, yeah, if they just had a slightly different attitude, like, ah, let's just don't worry about it. We're going to go home. Yeah. Well, so let's, um, let's kind of look through it here then. So, um, the one thing I talked about at the end of the last show was that apparently Namor had become a much bigger figure very quickly. I think because of his fantastic four appearances than I ever realized, because, you know, by the time I really started reading in the mid late seventies, he was around, but he was just one more random supporting character. He didn't have his own book or anything. He was just a supporting character like Nick Fury or something that would pop up from time to time to spice things up. Sometimes he was a hero. Sometimes he was a villain, kind of one of those gray characters. And, he he he's he's teased at the end of issue two as oh next issue's got the submariner oh like it's a really big deal like it's Doctor Doom you know right. coming into something and teaming him up with the Hulk I thought in what in fact I'm gonna say you tell me what you think about this in some ways because of the way they're presented here and again Hulk and Namor both can be heroes or villains depending on the situation the way they are presented in this story it's almost like this is the prototypical supervillain team up. It is. It is. And it's um and it's kind of terrifying. And it makes me think a little bit later in later years, um, and you'll get to this uh, you know, some months from now. Mm -hmm. The uh I'm not sure if you ever read the storyline of the Avengers Defenders War. Not um, in a long time. Steve Englehart wrote it. Yeah. And one of the things about it was that even though the defenders like kind of came and went and weren't a real team. Um, when they were together, their raw power, generally speaking, was way more the event than the Avengers. Mm -hmm. And with, it's a super villain team up, but these are also two of the three founding members of the defenders. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> um, who like, you know, were, and the and the two big powerhouses um yeah and uh they were only going you know they were outnumbered but only by a couple um so yeah. but yes but it is it really it really you know in in later years i always like you know i want to read the later issues of the avengers where they're fighting interesting villains but like in rereading it as like you know, what if this was the first time I ever read this comic and it was in the 60s? I was just like, like, wow, this is like a really big thing. Mm -hmm. You could feel it. Yeah. So this is, uh, by the way, cover dated January of 64, but it was written, I think it had to have been uh, produced prior to November of 63 for reasons I'll get into in a little bit later. And I mentioned last time. But I love how they always stressed, like every issue was always one of the greatest battles of all time. They, you know, that was a big thing that Stan, like, I think, liked to have on the cover. Sure. No, this is the all big battle issue. But anyway, um, so we get a splash page. And, and by the way, I wanted to mention about, about uh, Namor. He, he, even when it was ambiguous if he's a hero or a villain, Stan always scripted him like a villain, right? He talks like a Stan Lee villain most of the time in his appearances, even though Stan also goes to great lengths and, and Jack to a degree, I, we can, you know, argue about that whole thing. Um, 
to make him ambiguous as to whether he's a hero or a villain, because it's always like, well, he talks like an arch villain. He treats people that way. You know, he's, he betrays people, but he all, it always comes back to, but I have to, because I'm the monarch of Atlantis and I'm trying to defend my people from the surface. Well, he always has a justification, which I think is interesting. And the other thing I want to throw at you, Jack Kirby is a God, but his splat, his, um, his pinup, pages to me always were his le- weakest art the pages he did in the fantastic four always seemed weak to me and his and his and this right here this splash page slash pinup to start this issue is not his best work in my opinion i i would agree with you first of all the composition on that page is terrible um like you've got the submariner logo kind of chopping the page into a into the, the upper third and it's right in the middle of namor and it takes away from like the dynamic composition of that figure and then the kind of the cluttered way the avengers are arranged on the page uh is also not a great composition but i think the main reason why his pinups aren't that interesting is because his strength as an artist is a depiction of motion yeah. And when he's depicting a still image, it's sort of like it's just doesn't, you know, it takes away the power of what he does so well. Because yeah. especially at this stage of his career, where his work is still a little unrefined, mm-hmm. um, looking at them as just drawings is just less interesting than looking them, looking at him telling a story. Sequentially, yeah. Yeah, and and it, and I've noticed it's remarkable how quickly I don't want to say he improves because he's Jack Kirby. You've been doing this for for you know decades already at this point, but I think his feel for doing the Fantastic Four and the Avengers, his feel for how to draw them, you can just see it get better issue by issue early on. Early issues of Fantastic Four, early issues of Avengers, both you can just see him getting the feel for what he's trying to do. And and it really has it is really kind of remarkable. I also like that he doesn't come in until page fifteen. But when he does, well, they do clutter this up with the traditional sixties and seventies, lots of boxes and balloons. But they basically tell us you won't see Submariner for a while. So and it's true because they got a lot of stuff to set up. So right. Uh, let me see. I do like that Iron Man has this device that basically he calls it an image projector, but it's really like a two way distance communication hologram thing, which is. Interesting. Um, and I also noted Tony just loves him some board meetings. He just can't have enough board <laughs> meetings. He's, early. He's just like, because they're like, why are we meeting? He's like, well, we got to meet and see what's going on. They're like, ah, every, every other Avenger is like me going to a meeting. Uh, uh. Tony's like, oh boy, another meeting. Hot dog. You know, so. <laughs> That's, that is hilarious, but you're right. Whether I mean, that was his life. Mm-hmm. Um, and what's interesting is like how naturally he just kind of took over and is like, yeah. you know, here I am, I'm calling this meeting. And um, whereas everybody else is sort of like, unless we're like having a fight, like we're going to fight someone. Right. I don't want to see you. What's all this about? <laughs> I love it. Yeah. And well, this is the first, and this first time it's sort of like, no, we need strategy. We need to think about what we're doing. <laughs> Well, I, t- I talked about in the first episode that the the Fantastic Four is a family, so they're together whether they like it or not all the time anyway. The Avengers kind of have to be brought together, and like you say, they have their own lives and their own deals, and they don't really necessarily want to get together, at least this early group. I mean, 
Later right. on, you get some Avengers who basically their life is lying around on the sofa in the mansion, you know, watching TV or something. But, right. but this group, they don't, they have other things to do than have a board meeting. So uh, I like that we get a Fantastic Four appearance here. And it's kind of cool that because Stan and Jack were doing half the stuff, if not more, that Marvel was doing back then. It just felt completely organic to just have the thing on a date, right? And Reed and, Reed and uh, Johnny doing experiments and Sue going to a fashion show. It's amazing how organic the Marvel Universe already feels this early on. Right. And uh, so I think it's generally agreed in terms of like who's doing what. Um, if If I understand the Marvel method correctly and at this time, Stan probably got together with Jack and said, okay, in this issue, the Avengers hunt down the Hulk and the Hulk teams up with the Submariner and the end. And then Jack took that and like um, drew the entire story and then put notes and suggested dialogue in the margins, some of which would be used and some of which wouldn't. Um, so probably the idea of Jack thinking, all right, well, if they're looking for the Hulk, they'll ask other people around. So you know, let me put all these other heroes in here. Um, and it's a clever idea, like you said, to immediately put together this idea of the Marvel Universe. like, And not only just the Marvel Universe, but like just because they're all heroes doesn't necessarily mean they're all going to like drop what they're doing um to help out someone else because they all have you know they all have other stuff they have to do yeah yeah absolutely so we even get spider-man although jack we can see i mean it's not quite the same as ditko but hey we get to see spider-man yeah and we get the x-men interestingly so we get like this quick little tour and i think it's interesting too in that it puts the avengers kind of on a par with these other established groups i mean the x men started the same month as the avengers which is kind of mind blowing we talked about that again last episode last episode too but but it kind of puts them all it, it, this issue is really good at kind of putting the avengers in the middle of the marvel universe as it existed at that time by showing you you know what all is going on you have the fantastic 4 spider-man <laughs> spider-man kills me uh the x men uh, the Hulk, Submariner, like there's a lot of, you know, and then Rick Jones, there's a lot going on here. Um, and we find out that back then Hulk would go live in a cave and Rick would blast him. This is from the, the Hulk's own comic, right? Blast him with like more gamma rays to turn him back into Bruce Banner. Yep. I'd forgotten that. I, for a while it was day and night that would do it. Then it was the, the gamma rays, right? Yeah, it was all very... Uh it was all very inconsistent. Yeah. Um, like they didn't really establish, you know, and then the Hulk was gray for the first issue and turned green for, mm -hmm. you know, they didn't, they didn't even bother to try and explain it back then. Um, you know, there was right. lots of stuff retconned, of course. Yeah. Well, yeah, uh, that's the thing. And, and it's not him getting angry until later on. Interestingly, I think. Right. And in fact, you know, we'll see later in the issue at one point he gets like so angry and excited that he turns back into Bruce Banner. Yeah, yeah, that the more angry he gets, the he turns into the, yeah, that's kind of cool. So here he doesn't get enough gamma rays. He turns back into an even madder Hulk, bashes his way out of his cave. I love how like a central focus of a lot of early Marvel was that Rick Jones and his buddies had radios. That's, you know, it's kind of like today you have 
friends on the internet or something. We're it's it's kind it is kind of like uh, in the mid nineties. We we all at the of the uh, Avengers mailing list and and Avengers Assemble the the Jarvis heads. We were kind of like the internet version of Rick Jones. And his yeah, we were the team brigade. We were the team brigade. We were yeah. So um, the, oh one other scene I thought was fun here is that when when uh, when Donald Blake you know Thor realizes he needs to go do some Thor stuff. He tells Jane Foster, uh, it's been a busy day and I'm rather tired. I'm closing office early. And she's like, oh, Don, if only you didn't pamper yourself. So if only you were more rugged as he goes and turns into four. <laughs> uh, you just got to love Stan's uh, and, and Jack's whole. That's just great. Yeah, um, that was that, that is pretty amusing. Um, and that dialogue, that is 100% Stan. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, it, that's what it's like. Yeah, I loved you know, it's a very clever idea because I'm sure, um, I'm sure that joke is something that like Jack probably didn't have in there, but Stan thought, oh yeah, let's add this and kind of like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, keep kind of keep that going. I, I, I'm going to continue to address the Stan Jack thing probably whenever it comes up, and I just feel like they're so intermeshed, right? I've read, I've read stuff said by tomorrow's. I've read uh, a whole bunch of stuff on this. And my sense is just that they were collaborating. They were both doing a ton. It wouldn't have been the same without either one of them. And they both deserve all the credit at the same time. I'm, I'm, I'm not willing to deny one for the other when they oh, no. both so much. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think, uh, I think the order of operations if I was going to say, you know, who did the most, I would say Kirby slash Lee would probably be the more accurate way of describing it in terms of who was doing the most labor. But um, it is clear that uh, Stan's dialogue really crackled in a way that there is nothing really else in comics like that at the moment and especially not in DC um, where everyone kind of talked the same Mm. and was kind of, you know, a little bit boring and straight laced and Stan's willingness to kind of jazz it up. um, I think was one of the things that made them feel fresh and appealing. Yeah. And then the idea of like um, the quarreling heroes idea, um, you know, none of the heroes anywhere ever really got along no. very often. And they sometimes lay that out a little too thick, like, cause they were doing it every month mm-hmm. and they went, they, once they found a better balance of that, then things started to really hum. Um, but yeah, uh, I, I, and I think the, I think that equation of like artists did more than Stan, but Stan did a lot. And you can really tell when you look at Doc Strange and Spider-Man as well, um, because those are so different than the Kirby comics. And it's not just the art, right. uh, the pacing, the stories um, are all. And uh, I would argue that Ditko probably even did even more than Jack did um, because Jack was spread so thin. He was everywhere. Yeah. That's the truth. I mean, remember, he was drawing 
at, a certain, at one point he was drawing the Avengers and Thor and the Fantastic Four and the <laughs> X-Men every month. <laughs> That's nuts. Oh, it's crazy. Yeah. Some of these were bi-monthly, though, I did notice. But um, but still, just so much. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I always wanted to tell Jack, you know, he, you know, Jack's thing was, well, Stan wrote what was in the little bubbles. And I'm like, yeah, but what was in the bubbles was something nobody else was doing. So you got to give him a little more credit than that. But again, Jack was was the man. And, and I'm always going to argue that. And, and that Stan was, I mean, his hand as an editor mm-hmm. is the other thing to me it was almost more important. Um, you know, the corrections he would make. Um you know, as you said on the cover, action, action, action. And it was clear that that was something he was really obsessed on, obsessed with on every page. Yeah, It's like, you know, we can only have so much standing around. We got to like get things moving. We got to get things kinetic. We got to get things. Um, and it's, it's what makes early Marvel so great is, um, you know, it's not just that it's a fight. It's the way these, they depict motion and bodies interacting with each other in space and sequential form that's so exciting and the way kirby did it was completely different in the way that um that dicko did it absolutely yeah well and speaking of which we get a really cool iron man hulk fight here the first of many more or right less. um and ant-man gets involved too i'm gonna zip us on along um we get the yeah, fight fight action that's a great little tiny i mean he's doing he's having to do so many little panels which is kind of amazing today to see and yet and they're very static i mean there's not a lot of dynamic layout and yet what he's doing inside of them is really impressive i think you know he's he's still got these grids these very squared off grids but yet he's conveying a lot of action here and um so we get uh, i want to go ahead and bring uh namor in namor's always got technology he comes up with a plan. He's like, look, Hulk, I have a plan. I want to talk to you. Hulk's like, no, I want to fight. Arr! So they fight and they fight. And then Hulk says something like, uh, I had a, he says, oh, you're pretty tough for a little guy. He tells Namor. Oh, there it is. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you're pretty tough for a little guy. I love calling Namor a little guy. Only Hulk can call Namor a little guy. And so they decide to team up. But look right here. I'll string along for a while, Hulk says, then smash him when he's <laughs> off guard. And at the same time, Namor says he's too strong, too undependable. When he's served his purpose, I'll destroy him. Now, two things, two things here. One, I love how early Hulk, like you said, Hulk was very inconsistent. Early Hulk could talk. He didn't, he's not like Hulk smash fish man. No, he's like, uh, I don't go for all that flowery talk, but I hate humans too. That's, you know, people today would not recognize that as Hulk. Not that, that dialogue. And not only that, but he's he's cunning. He's clever. Yeah. Uh-huh. And and in that fight with Iron Man that we had earlier, um, he doesn't just beat Iron Man through overwhelming force. He has a plan. He's using these weapons in this very particular way. Uh, you know, he's even outsmarting him at certain points. Um and uh, yeah, I like this. And the the composition is really interesting because, as you noted, like a lot of those early, there are a lot of earlier scenes where um, a Kirby doesn't have a lot of space, uh, but b 
you know, look how many of these panels where there's almost no backgrounds. It's just like, uh, it's completely blank and it's just filled in by the colorist um, yeah. to give a little, little depth. Kirby could get away with it because of, um, he knew how to fill up a panel with a composition. He knew how to provide enough space for, uh, for word balloons. And so even in those panels where there's no backgrounds, the balance he has between characters is so good. And uh, and if you look on um, the second page, uh, that that panel with the wasp and Thor, mm-hmm. look at the way Kirby is drawing the bodies interacting in space. Look at that body language. Mm-hmm. Even though the actual rendering is clearly pretty quick, because he he, according to the credits, he drew and inked this issue, which is yeah. also nuts. <laughs> yes, <laughs> um, you know he literally did everything. Um, even though the rendering is not necessarily like super top notch, um, the actual storytelling and the way he has, like I said, the, the characters interacting in space, his understanding of gesture is just so good. His understanding of body language is so good. Uh, it's just, um, and that's what makes these things so fun and so easy to like, boom, boom, boom. Um, like you could you could look at this barely look at the dialogue and understand the flavor of what was going on because of the storytelling. Oh, yeah. Absolutely, I did want to admit, the the other thing that I was noting here that I was wanted to note was Namor is such a hypocrite because he he's like I can't trust the Hulk so I'm going to have to destroy him later and or I, or he's too dangerous I'm going to have to betray him later and then later on Namor's like uh, you would have betrayed me. How did, who <laughs> Like, you just said you were going to betray him. Ah. But um, and and Jan, you know, we got to address it. Jan is just insufferable. Here's the thing: she's treated terribly. Yes. But at the same time, she's terrible. I don't know which is worse, honestly, because she brings it on herself in some cases. They treat her horribly, but she also does things like. Um, oh, you know, we may all die. Well, I hope you don't die, handsome, because I, I want to see you in a nice Ivy League suit and crew cut with those those eyes. Like, oh. you know, and it's I blame Stan for this, but <laughs> it just, she's just, she makes it very hard to read some of these early issues. It It's true. And, you know, the two things I'll say about that, like as a partial retcon is it's, number one, She's a teenager. Yeah. Uh, she's like barely 18 years old. Um, when she gets together with Hank and that's, that's a whole other issue. Uh, in the, in the, as, as, as we do, as you do your show, the long and demented relationship between Hank and Jan. <laughs> oh, um, I got that to look forward to. For yeah. Uh, and then, Number two, I always took, you know, she's trying to make Hank jealous because yeah. constantly because he's like. He's Reed um, Richards in a way. He's in his lab and she wants to get his attention. Right. And, um, you know, and it's funny because Reed is also considerably older than Sue. So you've got this weird, like, paternal relationship between them as well, as well as a romantic one with those both of those guys. And it's. And it's weird. 
and they both act out in different ways. And they both have these kind of very passive powers. Um, and it's not a great look at no. all. It's like, you know, they're extremely perfunctory. Well, moving along, uh, we see yeah. the Avengers submarine. That's going to be important. I love that Hulk and Namor use World War II artillery against the Avengers. That's kind of interesting. Um, and then Namor go, decides that Iron Man is dangerous, and so he uses emery dust on him, whatever, and freezes him up. Okay, we get some talk about the hammer. Uh, Hank uses some compressed air to blow out the dust. Interesting. I'm going to zip through this fight that we can say anything once about at the end. Um, yeah. Just some more fighting, fighting, fighting. There's where Hulk turns back into Bruce Banner and runs away. Now he's in Gibraltar. So I don't know if they ever address how he gets away from Gibraltar here. It, it would have been cool to have a, a, a couple of issues of Hulk where he rampages across Spain or North Africa, but I don't think that they probably did. Uh, but they did pick up on stuff like this a lot, though. You'd be surprised. They picked up on stuff. Here's a great scene where the Hulk tries to take the Thor's hammer away from Thor, and he can't, which we've seen that a million times since. And then to kind of get to the end of it, they fight, they fight. And finally, and this is really important here, the Hulk has already run away. Namor is kind of drying out, and he's like, I've got to get water, and he runs away. And so the Avengers sort of win. Sort of sort of by the by the by the by their opponents they're not the bad guys necessarily their opponents fleeing for different reasons and that kind of brings us to the end here but they're still at four members they didn't get the hulk back they have another enemy now in namor they didn't have before and so uh any last any other thoughts about this issue before we do the what if no i i really dislike the idea of um that uh, not every issue we're going to see is a definitive win by the heroes. It's sure. like they won in the sense that they survived, and that's about it. Yeah, and that's a good segue yeah. that leads into the what if. I think. It, yeah, that's exactly right. And this is this issue mainly is notable for having a big battle, a couple of battle sequences, continuing that Hulk subplot, and kind of introducing Namor. Otherwise, I'm not sure it. it, it I think it seems a lot bigger than it really ends up being in terms of story, but it does, like you say, segue as well into what if number three. And if, I just want to hit on a couple of things here because it was only 14 years later, which is kind of hard to imagine today, but it was only 14 years after Avengers number three, that what if number three came out and I, Rob, I want to get your impression of this. This is, instead of Stan Lee and Jack Kirby, this is Jim Shooter and Gil Kane. And you know that I love Jim Shooter's writing, for the most part. But look at the layouts of this issue as we go forward, because it's amazing to me, because Jack is Jack, so it's not like he got, you know, he wasn't great, and his his art changes by in 14 years too. But look at how much the way comics look and are scripted has changed in just 14 years. This is amazing to me because you've got, um, oh, I want the two page layout. Well, it's not letting me do it. Anyway, um, you've just got a totally different composition here. You've got 
this is all, you know, it's, I mean, it's Gil Kane, so it's a different artist, but it just seems different to me in a way. I, I, it seems like we've stepped a whole generation forward in comics art. Am I crazy or what? Well, um, this just looks, I don't I, know, I, more I, dynamic, more three dimensional, more modern in a way. I don't know. Maybe it's because it's when I came in. I think, uh, I think people had a better sense of what they, uh, I think editorial had a better sense of what they wanted the comics to look like. Um, a, and in 1963, yes. I mean, Jack had been drawing comics for 20 years. Um, but it had been a while since he had drawn superheroes and he was creating all those guys and the production schedule, because like you said, in those early issues, he's he's drawing and doing his own inking. Mm-hmm. And uh, the rendering is not great. The storytelling in those, those adventures is still fantastic. No, oh, yeah. Um, but it would take him about two years to refine his rendering uh, in places like Thor and the Fantastic Four, where he like, once he was able to concentrate and reduce his monthly load, you could tell he's able oh, yeah. to slow down. And at this point in Gil Kane's career, this is late in his his career after working for DC for years and years and years. And um and he clearly had time to think about it, but also uh the production schedules were different, the paper was different, the coloring had improved. Um I just, I just feel like, um, and also he's also one of the greats. Uh, and he, at this point he could slow, he had the option to slow down and really take his time on assignments. And it's clear. Um, and the other thing that was interesting, it's clear that it's like, okay, I'm redoing Kirby. So how am I going to do that? Um, and I think that was one, maybe one of the things that attracted him to this book or to this assignment because he got a rare uh, co-plotter credit. Very unusual at that time for Marvel to actually credit that. Uh, And um, what I take from it is even more so that Shooter had this like general idea and that most of this comic is Gil Kane and then Shooter came back with the dialogue um so this is this is Kane's take on Kirby, which I think is interesting, which is another reason why it looks good. But Kane's style is different. Um Kane was always more naturalistic. Look at the way he's drawing the Hulk, look at the definition of look at his his use of anatomy is flawless. He really knows how to draw the human body. I mean, look at um, Giant Man looms over Iron Man there. It's not just like two guys standing next to each other. Um, the the scale of Thor to the monster and the angle and everything. I just the, the, them walking away and he's in the <laughs> foreground. Just the composition of these panels to me is just such a revolutionary step forward from where it was in the '60s. Yeah, he's using a lot of different camera angles. Yes, yeah. Kirby is mostly just like those comics, just straight on. Exactly, exactly. Um, I I uh, I want to mention. Okay, this came out cover date June '77. This is very important to me personally. My first 
comic book, superhero comic book, as most everybody knows by this point, was Avengers 162, The Bride of Ultron. That's what pulled me in and made me an Avengers fan. I told my grandmother, because I was nine, said, if you see a comic book that says Avengers on it, get it for me. She goes to the grocery store. She comes back with this. This was my second comic book. So in my second comic book, the oh, Avengers nuts. break up and Iron Man, gets my new favorite character, gets killed. And I'm like, right? It was freaking me out. Little, you know, little I know the Korvac was in the future too, so I'm going to see him die again. But anyway, um, and then my third was the was a, a Marvel two and one annual number two with Thanos. So what a summer of '77! I wasn't getting to go see Star Wars like the other kids because it hadn't come to my little town in Alabama yet. But I was getting Avengers one sixty two, What If number three, and the Thanos saga from Marvel two and one. I had to go find Avengers annual seven about a month later, track it down to get the first half of the story. I'd already read the second half. Anyway, so that was just a few things. Um, the one thing I do like about this issue, too, I want to get to it quickly, but uh, uh, Shooter keeps, see, there's Rick Jones on his radio, but Shooter keeps uh, so much of what was going on in that story, but he also keeps the, the way that Jan is taught to. There's a, there's a bit, I want to find it, there's uh-huh. a bit where... Um, where uh, she says, I want to help too. And Hank is like, this is serious, Jen, be quiet or something. And you're like, right. Wait, what? <laughs> it's, it's in here somewhere. I, I missed it. But anyway, so um, let's just say about this issue that because the other Avengers don't want to team up anymore, they basically break up. Iron Man builds armor for Hank, Jan and uh, Rick Chance. And Rick Jones, they try it out. They don't like it. He gets mad at them. They leave. He energizes himself up to superpower level, goes and tries to fight Hulk and Namor at the same time, which he would later do in the Michelini uh, issues, interestingly enough. You do see the uh, the Bob Layton run. Um, he almost takes them both down. He does knock out the, the Hulk by basically electrocuting him in water. And then he starts fighting Namor, but of course the problem, the, the mistake he makes there is getting in the water. And it's another great composition. I love these panels right there. Uh-huh. Another comp, another problem. And he's about beaten. The other three show up. They change their mind. They show up. Jan's got little stings that she can zap you with. That's a great scene of Namor looking dazed. And then uh, he, you know, Iron Man almost wins. They come along and fight. They have different powers. He can be intangible. She can shoot little spines. And finally, Hulk and Giant Man fight. And Giant Man is knocked out. He's going to die. Iron Man has to recharge his armor. But it basically is going to cost Iron Man his life. And so Giant Man is able to come back and, and fight him some more. And, and, and right there. And then Namor hits Rick Jones. is basically going to kill him. And that's what swings the tide, right? Hulk is like, he realizes that's Rick Jones. He saves him. He gets pissed at Namor. They're going to fight. And that's going to lead to them separating. So just like in the original issue, they fight and they separate. But the big difference here is Iron Man basically has to sacrifice himself to get that result. All right. Your thoughts. First of all, um, this issue kind of reveals in many ways, how much of a cheat code Thor is. That <laughs> if you've got Thor in any fight, 
you got a real good chance because Namor and the Hulk spent a lot of time going up against Thor uh, without a ton of success. And Thor is even basically saying like an issue number three, that's like, well, he got away because we were all pulling our punches. Like if I hit him really hard, you know, we would have gotten him. And, and I think that's accurate. Like when you see Thor go up against like a real enemy or like, you know, some monstrous thing, and he brings the thunder, literally, and the lightning and everything. Um, so when I also I liked the divergence point where Iron Man's like, "Hey, we gotta we gotta go find the Hulk." And uh, as you're saying, you know, everyone's at this board meeting they don't want to be at, and Giant Man's like, you know, changes his mind because Iron Man is so insistent and it's sort of like, eh, I don't want to do that. And then Iron Man loses his cool, insults Thor, and Thor's like, I don't have to deal with you or mortals for that matter. I'm just going to go back right. to Asgard. This was a mistake. Yeah. And, uh, and then that's that. And without the human cheat code or any other teammates for that reason, uh, one of the things I like is that Iron Man... Um, you know, runs the numbers and it's like, well, I might die, but, you know, I've still got to show up somehow when after he makes all this armor. Uh, and one interesting thing about that is that it presaged something that he would do years later, which is make armor for Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it kind of brought the thought of like, you know, he had this idea to make armor for the other Avengers to like use their natural powers and make them even tougher. Um. Uh, one wonders why he never had that idea at any other point. Yeah. Um, you know, there's to a certain degree, there's a sense of like, well, I respect what you do, and you don't need to be. Not everyone needs to be Iron Man. I think that's it. Yeah, exactly. Not everybody needs to be Iron Man. It becomes. Hey, and you know, speaking of which, I always one of the things I love about this issue, and I'm trying to look back at it objectively now because, as I said, it has a real important place in my heart in terms of comics but when i look at it objectively it's not surprising to me that shooter focused so much on iron man in this issue because i always felt like shooter really had a handle on iron man and liked writing him and emphasized him in the avengers when he wrote the avengers and it's interesting to me that we never got a jim shooter iron man run yeah uh that was interesting, but uh, prior to that point, you know, the first good Iron Man writer in years was Bill Mantlo. Oh, yes. After yeah. enduring 80 issues of mostly garbage. Pretty and nice. I say that as an Iron Man fan. And I remember when I like read the entire run, I was just like, this is hard to read. Yeah, it is. Um, he was a, he was a, he was a B player. He was a C, he was a C player almost at that point in terms of like probably sales and how much of, you know, so for shooters, like a, a more important writer, it was sort of like, I don't want to go write 
I like the character, but that series, you know, I don't want to write a lesser series. Right. Um, but he did like Iron Man. Um, and he gave him like this kind of edge that I really enjoyed. Um, like, you know, when he threatens Jocasta's life in order to like, you know, uh, get the secret of how to re- revive the Avengers. It's like, and the black Panther's like, man, that was kind of messed up. And Iron Man's like, you know, shut up. I had to do what I had to do. <laughs> oh yeah. That was a great moment. Absolutely. And fighting with Captain America. And the thing about those fights is that, uh, you know, you know, it's clear that Shooter favored Iron Man over Captain America. Yes, I love that. I love that so much. Yes, that was so um, So, yeah, I think Shooter enjoyed making the main character and that and Iron Man is flawed and arrogant. And, like, you know, he's yelling at all these other people when they're not um, perfectly listening to him and mastering their suits. And then later he's like, I haven't slept in two days. And he's sort of like, I shouldn't have done it. Um, again, it's his own personal flaws. Uh, and again, like with that Avengers board meeting, if he hadn't flown off the handle at Thor, um, Thor wouldn't have left. So it's sort of like it's the classic hero who causes his own downfall. Um, and but is essentially noble and self sacrificing. Um, certainly here, <laughs> certainly in this one, he was quite, yes. quite literally. Uh, and so, yeah, I love that about him, and uh, and it was really well drawn. It was a dynamic story. Um, and here's the other thing: when you think about it, is we're living in an age now where we can read any comic book pretty much that's ever been published ever, in one way or another. But one of the, and he said this is like 14 years after the original issue came out. At that time, um, you could read maybe a reprint series if it was coming out, as they were coming out in the 70s. But otherwise, it's sort of like you had no way of reading this issue. That's true. So I think that's why they spent so much time rehashing the original issue, um, which they do. They like spend five or six pages. That's mostly just the original story. Um, Cause it's sort of like, well, you know, there's no other way to get to it. Yeah. And I like that shooter kind of cuts to the chase and, and Kane kind of cut to the chase. They, they emphasize the most important parts, which are, the conflict Iron Man is having with trying to have a team to do this mission. And then this, this epic fight at Gibraltar, which needed to be epic in scale. And it was, and that's pretty much what you get. Um, now we got one more to go. Yeah. Let's do go it. Ditch this one. Cause we got a, we got our biggest one for last. This is but, the big uh, one. And here it is. But before we do that, I've got to thank our patrons, the folks who got this show going. And these are our founders, people who joined up before January 1st, when our first episode went up. And that are that includes Kathy Bright, George Gaston, Ryan Daly, Earl Ricks, David Wright, and Emmanuel, and Emmanuel Seaman are our founders, along with Luke C.J. Smith 
And uh, we're hoping to gain more. If you'd like to be a patron and help keep our show going as we get this series rolling, and I'm going to have you know, Rob on, I'm sure, some more where I can get him and I have other guests coming up, then just go to uh, www.avengersassemble.net, avengersassemble.net, which may be where you're watching this right now. I don't know. But if you go to avengersassemble.net, click on the Become a Patron button. You can sign right up. And there are several levels and several benefits you can get. All right. Thank you guys so much. Here we go. Our last issue for today, Avengers number four, cover dated March 1964. So bi-monthly by Stan and Jack again. Look at how dynamic that cover is. Oh, yeah. We're rocking and rolling now. That is, and it's one that has been paid homage to, shall we say, so many times. Like, what artist hasn't done some version of that at this point, you know? And it's so clear how much Jack loves drawing Captain America. Oh, yeah. And what's interesting is that a few issues before this, in Strange Tales, uh, the Human Torch, in his when he was had a solo run in that, fought someone who claimed to be Captain America. Um, it turned out to be the Acrobat in a Captain America disguise. But that was kind of a trial balloon that Marvel was throwing up for like, hey, do you want to see Captain America again? And there was a big... Uh, a big groundswell in the letters. It's like, yeah. So um, that's for they brought back Cap here. Um, but everyone here is like, you know, Cap leading the charge. He's at this interesting Dutch angle where Shield's at the bottom. But you've got like Iron Man in motion, and Giant Man's got the you know the the splayed Kirby fingers. And yeah, um, we got everything except the guy in the foreground going. Right. <laughs> I love um, that. This is just like, this is super classic Kirby. Yeah. All right. A couple of things here. We've still got the Hulk up in the corner box. No cap, but that's going to change very quickly. This is a hugely important issue in the history of Marvel, which we're going to talk about. It was being written as word came that JFK had been assassinated. So it has a real tie to American history, which is ironic in, considering it's got Captain America in it for the first time. And also the Submariner again. So he, again, A, he must have been really popular at this time because he just pops up all the time. And B, he just keeps popping. He's been in, he, he just keeps popping up in the Avengers now. So it, it's almost like, you know, a few years later, this would be Spider Man, you know, every issue of every Marvel comic. Guest well, and, to, you know. and to a degree, even though every issue is meant to be a single entity, you're, as you're pointing out, uh, it could be argued that this is a four issue story mm-hmm. and it kind of ends here. Yeah. Yeah. I'd been calling it the Hulk trilogy, but, um, but yeah, he does, it does still kind of carry over to here. Um, the splash page, which is again, I showed you that's the, the layouts are just different in the sixties than they are by the seventies. But um, I think that there's two things here that are important. One, a tale destined to become a magnificent milestone in the Marvel Age of Comics. For once, he's right. He's right. <laughs> and number two, your avalanche of fan mail demanded. So what you were just saying was people were writing in, and I didn't know if that was Stan hyperbole, because you never know with Stan. Uh, he'll, Stan will just say something like that regardless, you know. But it really did. You were saying it really, yeah, it really it, yeah. Like I said, they put up a trial balloon. And everyone was like, "Yeah, bring back Cap." Yeah, and then not only do we have this up here, a tale destined to become a milestone, 
We get another box down here. Editor's note. We sincerely suggest you save this issue. We feel you will treasure it in time to come. I just love that Stan is creating something and telling you how great it is and telling you how much you'll love it in the years to come. I mean, that's, that is the most Stanley thing ever, right? It is. It's so over the top. It's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. So, uh, this talks about how Jack drew him and co-created him and Stan got to script him, you know, early back in the day. So that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. Let's kind of hit the origin here. Uh, after the big fight at Gibraltar, uh, Namor ends up among the Inuit or Eskimo people and finds them like worshiping a guy in a block of ice. He gets mad. He throws it in the water. It starts to melt. The Avengers come along in their submarine, which we already saw they were taking back from Gibraltar. So it all kind of fits together. I'm amazed how well this fits together, right? It does. And, yeah. And they see him, they pull him in and lo and behold, it's either Captain America or somebody pretending to be him. He wakes up, he freaks out, he starts to fight them. And then he kind of comes back to himself. And there, by the end of these two pages, we've gone from seeing him in the water, frozen, all the way to him being back to being Captain America in the space of two pages. They could cram a lot into a comic book. And that <laughs> last image on the second page where yeah. he's got his full uniform on the first time and like has that like rigid military posture of like mm -hmm. i'm back yes. here i am yep it yeah there's no doubt and um the uh this is the thing that always interests me about captain america he's one of the few i don't know if he's the only he's one of the few marvel heroes whose origin is absolutely nailed down to a very specific moment in history Right. With Iron Man, it was a war in Asia, but it could be the Middle East. It could be Vietnam. You know, you just Iron Man's war just gets closer to us every few years. Right. Right. With Cap, it's World War Two. Now, this was just 18 years later. So he was 18 years is a long time. But compared to now, it's like 70, you know, or 75 How or more than that, I guess. I. I yeah, the time, real men out of time. Yeah. He's, he's basically become Marvel's Buck Rogers. But back then, it was just 18 years. Like, all he really missed back then was the 50s, pretty much. He missed I Love Lucy and Ike, and that's about it, you know. Whereas now, he's only been around for a few years. He missed the whole second half of the 20th century. Right. So it's it's interesting to me that his story like changes dynamically in a way that hardly anybody else's does because he's so connected to World War II. That just always fascinated me. So. Well, and I mean, one of the things about it, of course, is that his big love in World War II was Peggy Carter. Yeah. And when he returns and finally meets her, it's like Peggy's just middle aged, you know. Mm -hmm. And uh, didn't, he doesn't realize she's still around. And he falls in love with, um, initially, she is, uh, uh, her. Sharon Carter is her younger sister, Agent 13, mm -hmm. later retconned to being her niece. Right. Yeah, you've uh, got to keep changing that. Exactly. you got to do this. The ages keep pushing out. Yeah, that's the thing about Cap. He, he has been in the ice longer every year that goes by. And so his time away from us gets longer every year that goes by. And, it's and of course, when the movie comes out, you know, Peggy is like 
almost 90 years old. Right, 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 right. Um, this is it. This is cool. So we get a flashback. I'm I'm assuming this didn't actually happen in the Captain America comics, right? I guess the, the comic just quit it it quit being published and we and people for all those years didn't know really what had become of, of Cap. Well don't forget there was the um, uh Captain America Captain America continued into the fifties when he's fighting yeah. communists and whatnot. Um and so you had this paradox for a long time of well, this this story says that Cap was on ice, but mm -hmm. Captain America was having adventures in the 1950s. How was that possible? And then that was later. Steve Englehart addressed that later. Was that that 50s Captain America was a different person, right? And not a great one. It is. It turns out right. I mean, I think he ends up. No. Oh, no. yeah. So cool. So cool thing here. We get the story of how he ended up not being in World War II anymore and frozen in the ice. Uh, with Bucky, which is a very famous, it's been told a million times, but when it's shown here, it is a completely faceless figure and hand, and we don't know who it is. Is it not later supposed to be Zemo? Yeah. In fact, Zemo comes along two issues later and is revealed as the one who, um, who killed, you know, who killed Bucky. Right. Um, so it's an interesting bit of foreshadowing here. Literally. Uh, yeah, it's like, I don't know if they had already cooked up that, hey, let's make that villain, that person who sent him to his death, you know, let's write about him, or if they had thought about it at that time. I don't know. Yeah, I was curious about that, too, and I don't know yet. Because Zemo was not, that was a brand new character. He was not a character who appeared in any of the early, other in, in the early Cap um, comics, the only villain from that era who'd returned in the sixties was the red skull. Um, that was the only old time cap foe who, you know, who returned. None of the others did. So the Avengers submarine gets back to New York and they get turned into stone while cap is still on the sub. Interestingly, he gets out. He doesn't understand why there's these weird statues of them there. <laughs> and I like that people break down in tears when they see Captain America. I mean, that really right. shows the power that this character has that people, and then he meets Rick Jones and thinks it's Bucky and freaks out. There's a lot more to come because Bucky is, I mean, Rick Jones is basically everybody's sidekick at some point, right? Captain Marvel and Captain America and the Hulk. And he just spent, and genius. From space yeah. night. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So he spends some time um, with everybody. So cap does some detective work with, with uh, Rick Jones figures out this guy turned him to stone. He smashes into their headquarters and there's a fight. There's a great Jack Kirby fight. This is look, the, these poses are just so Kirby, right? All of this is just hundred percent Kirby. Gotta love it. He, he and, loves drawing. I don't, I'm not sure. I think if you, if you ask me, it's like, who who are his favorite characters to draw? It'd be Cap, Thor, and the Thing, maybe in yeah. that order. Yeah, I think that's right. I think that's right. So we find out this asparagus alien guy is so it's another alien. We had the Space Phantom in number two, and we've got this guy in number four. I mean, it's they really did like to bring in these alien invaders um, as often as possible. We're going to get the lava men in number five. Oh, I get to do that in solo. Um, but uh, 
they he, he was mistaken for Medusa. Interestingly, turning people to stone. I thought was I do think it's funny that Cap, who to my memory, I don't think had ever encountered an alien prior to yeah. this, immediately immediately went. That's a weird gun. He must be an alien. I know. That's <laughs> I Stan. I'm going to blame Stan. <laughs> You're absolutely right. So he gets him to turn him back to normal. Meanwhile, Namor is watching. He's become like a subplot and a supporting character in the Avengers, which is fascinating. Um, and so, uh, all right, they're trying to get his ship, the alien ship out of the seabed. Oh, Namor and the Atlantean army show up and there's a fight. We've got some more. Just can't go an issue without fighting Namor now. And um, so undersea action here. Good. Same, same, same. Um I'm just trying to get to where the uh, now Cap gets to fight Namor a little bit. They don't recognize each other. Now, should we be charitable and say that they've both only recently been revived and maybe they just haven't got all their memories back or what? Well, with Namor, that's like a really good, I mean, that makes sense because when Johnny Storm found him, Mm -hmm. dropped him in the water, Namor was a complete amnesiac. Yeah. Uh, and so a lot of those, you know, for him, it's like, oh, maybe he forgot about this. And especially in the trauma of discovering Atlantis had been destroyed or whatever. Uh, with Cap, that makes a lot less sense because for him, he was still living in the same era where he had fought with Namor. But yeah, we'll say that he was disoriented or whatever and didn't have all of his memories back as charitably. And and so the invaders are a complete Roy Thomas creation retroactively, right? There was no talk back in the day that the invaders existed. I don't think that's well. There was the All Winter Squad in the 1950s. That yeah. that did exist. I think only one or two issues came out of that. And of course, in the Golden Age Marvel comics, um. Namor and the Human Torch fought all the time. That was like a regular thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't remember Cap encountering the Submariner in Golden Age comics. I'd have to go look that up to be sure. Um, but there was no team up. That I know. Right. Right. Yeah, all of that was in the 70s with, with Roy Thomas, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Right retroactively so the 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 alien ship takes off but it makes namor think it's an earthquake so he and the atlanteans flee i love that it's kind of funny and um the avengers watch him go and um the wasp wonders was this a victory or a defeat and that's for history to decide right now we have another decision and that's of course to bring captain america to the ranks of the avengers of course so we welcome you captain america to the ranks of the i love that it happens in this tiny little panel i mean today this would be a splash page this would be a freaking huge splash page. It's this tiny little panel. Uh, we're privileged to witness a momentous moment in the annals of high adventure. Yeah, I'd agree, except it's in this tiny little post. <laughs> anyway, because you got to save room because you still got the whole Hulk thing going on. So um, we've still, yeah. Oh, and I love this. Hulk is sure to return someday. And when he finds out that Captain America has replaced him, will anything be able to stop him then? And I'm like, he didn't want to be in the team to begin with. He's not going to care. <laughs> Why would Hulk care if Captain America replaces him? Really? I mean, I think Stan's trying to stir the pot a little bit, but there's not. Yeah, it's pot. like Hulk's just like, man, leave me alone. I don't want to be in your club. 
So there we are. All right. So kind of play, play this, place this comic for us in, in historical perspective, Rob. I mean, what have we just read and what has it meant to Marvel and to fans? Um, you've got their greatest action hero in terms of like just pure kineticism um, is back. And there's also this like deep sense of reaching back into history and bringing back another character um, because Human Torch wasn't the same character. Namor was the first character from the Golden Age they brought back. That's right. Um, but as you point out, he's this morally ambiguous character who is, you know, why is he angry all the time? Because he feels like the human race killed his his race, so he wants to take revenge. Sure. Um, it's like I, it's an understandable urge on his part, even though he's wrong. And even then, he's sort of like, you know, uh, he wants a noble battle. Um, but Cap is like unambiguously this returning character who is just clearly um, the greatest hero. He immediately commands respect. And there's a scene early in issue when they revive him that's like, maybe this is a faker. And he's like, yeah, okay, attack me. And right. like he just easily just dodges every attack. Um, you know, they just they can't lay a glove on him. Um, right. And he does it with just like tremendous ease. He's not even trying to hurt them. He's just like, huh. yeah, I'm. You know, this is I am who I am here. And then like you know when he's mad, motivated, the way he just tears into his enemies. Like there's a scene where. Um, uh, you know, there's but the the alien has hired a bunch of bunch of hoods, and Cap tears into them so hard. A lot of them are just like, "I'm out of here. I'm not going to yeah. deal with this." Um. Uh, he's just this completely inspirational figure, and um, especially in these all these early issues. You know, they're flailing a little bit. They're trying to figure out what's working, what's not working. That's um, what kind of book is this really? He's the glue, man. I say he came in. It took three issues without him. And you're like, you bring Captain America into this as an ingredient in this soup. And it comes together. I think he makes the team come together in a way that it, because again, in that what if we saw how close they were to breaking up, they would there would not that would not have happened if Cap had been a member of number three. No, if Cap was there, he would have given some kind of inspirational speech. <laughs> he would have calmed everyone down. He would talk about duty and you know and things like that. And yeah. uh, I and of course you know you'll get to it later with issue sixteen. Um, but the swerve of taking out. Um, the three most powerful members of the group and putting cap with like these, these newbies, um, you know, the, some of those stories are interesting because cap is like, you know, they're up against incredible odds and caps like, no, we're not going to surrender. We're going to fight to the, to the end to the last man. And everyone, and you know, throughout the whole run of the Avengers, everyone, when cap makes a speech like that, everyone's like, 
man, when you say that, you make me believe it. Yes. And um, and it's why when um, when Kurt Busiek took over the book, and in that first run, they're in this alternate world where everyone's under mind control. Kurt had asked the Avengers mailing list, who of the Avengers do you think are like being an Avenger is at the core of who they are? Mm-hmm. And like, and you know, Cap was one of them, Hawkeye was one of them. Uh and um and Iron Man wasn't because Iron Man always has other things, you know, that are honest play that are more important. And so you have a character for whom the team, the cause is the most important thing. And I'll, you know, you literally will have to kill me in order to prevent the, the cause from, you know, you know, like you said, he's the glue. He's, he's the one that uh, he inspires everyone else. Um, he, he makes them a team rather than a bunch of all-stars hanging around together and bickering. He makes them into an actual thing. Yeah. And also he's um he's the only tactician in the group. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, Iron Man is clever with his stuff, but in terms of like working with others, he didn't really show he was great at it. Thor is just a one man army himself. And then um uh Giant Man and the Wasp are not natural fighters or yeah tacticians you know cap was the one who like said you know you go do this you go do this um uh and uh and especially when he had hawkeye quicksilver and scarlet witch he basically liked to drill them over and over and over and over again this maneuver this maneuver this maneuver um which is why they're able to survive um but yeah it's just like um this issue in issue 16 um, and like the first are like in the first 50 issues are like the two most important. Yes. In my no, opinion. No. The last thing I will say, there's no letters page yet, but I'm looking forward to encountering one. Cause I'm looking forward to seeing what folks back in the early sixties thought about all this. Yeah. That's going to be fun. So, All right. Well, that gets us to an end. Rob, I want to thank you for coming on and lending your considerable insight. It would not have been nearly as good without you. And I really appreciate it. My pleasure. And I'll be happy to come on for more. Uh, I'm looking (laughs) on the, uh, on the Avengers assemble website. My two areas of expertise are the villains, King, the conqueror and Ultron. So I'd love to come on for some, uh, some King and Ultron action down the line. We will do it. We will do it. All right. We're going to wrap up. Get on out of here. And thank you guys. We'll see you uh, in our next.